Hi there. How's the Journey Church family today? Great. How about 85 today? Yeah, we'll take that and pray it doesn't get 85 in here. Should be good. Let's pick up the ninth installment of the series that we call Becoming Spiritual Champions. And we're going to talk about this characteristic of spiritual champions today. And it's a little weighty, just so you know. It goes like this. Spiritual champions acknowledge the continual spiritual war between God and Satan in which both of those supernatural powers can influence their choices. That's not a pretty picture, is it? It sounds kind of bleak, even. I recently heard about a conference where an internationally known Christian leader was standing on a platform in front of thousands of uh, international Christian leaders as well, and it was kind of an open forum session, and one of the questions that they asked this guy uh, in this open forum was what the most frightening trend to him was in all of church culture, and you know what his answer was? He said, it is the incredible lack of any reference, and he meant any reference to spiritual warfare in the church in the 21st century. He said, it is almost non-existent. And dating all the way back to the year 1941, a guy who you might have heard of before named C.S. Lewis, he said these words, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about this deal, spiritual warfare. He said, one is to disbelieve in its existence. Like, just ignore it, it doesn't exist, pretend it's not there, which is what some people do. The other, C.S. Lewis writes, is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in it, which you might know some people who traffic that way in the whole deal. But spiritual champions, which is what we're on the road, I hope, to becoming around here, they fully believe in the spiritual warfare deal. They believe it's happening, that it's around them, as well as they carry with them a healthy and godly perspective on the spiritual battle that's raging around us every single day. Because the truth is, we live in a war zone. We live in a war zone. Our lives, our souls, are a battlefield. And every moment of every single day, there are things happening around us that cannot be seen with the natural eye, but are indeed quite real. And I'm not talking about ghosts and goblins kinds of stuff. I'm talking about more like angels and demons kinds of stuff. Stuff that a guy who wrote the letter to the church at Ephesus, a guy named Paul, attempts to open our eyes to. If you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Ephesians 6, 10, you can follow along on the side screens as well if you don't have a text. Here's what Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. A final word, he says. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor, not just some of it, all of it, so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Paul's opening our eyes to this real deal battle. And like it or not, we're engaged in a spiritual war against a very real enemy, and he has a name. His name is Satan. That's his name. That's who he is. Paul calls our attention to him. And so often, though, in the heat of the battle that's raging all around us, we forget that Satan is our enemy, and we take our eye off the ball of the real battle, and we often put it somewhere else, don't we? We often mistakenly believe that it's our spouse that's our enemy, don't we? Or that it's our brothers and sisters in Christ who are our enemies. Maybe we're in disagreement about something, 
And so they become the enemy. But that's not even close to what Paul teaches us in the sacred text. Look at what he says in verse 12, very emphatically. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. You can't touch this battle like I can touch myself. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world. And against evil spirits in the heavenly places. A guy named Charles Stanley says this, we must be very clear on one point. Our spouse and our brothers and sisters in Christ are not the enemy. We need to recognize that the devil attempts to blind us and deceive us so that we will become divided and begin to war against one another rather than against him. It's part of the devil's strategy, see. If he can get us to take our eyes off of him and put it onto someone else, make someone else, something else into the enemy, well then... He can just sort of have his way with us, see. Stanley goes on, the real enemy is the devil and his forces acting behind the scenes in every case of spiritual assault. Satan is the enemy, not the person who's sitting next to you, not the person who you work with, not the person in your small group or at your school. Satan is the enemy. Just about a month after Dana and I got married, we attended a marriage conference at a hotel in Billings. It had been an incredibly rocky first month to our marriage. I'm kidding, by the way. It wasn't really. It was a wedding gift from some friends of ours. They wanted us to actually start our marriage off on the right foot. It was a great wedding gift. And so we gather in this hotel ballroom. There's a couple of hundred couples gathered there. And in one of the first, we were like the newbie married couple in the whole place, you know. We've been married 30 days. Woo! You know, still on the honeymoon, really. And in one of the first sessions, it was the first session, as a matter of fact, the speaker stood up on the stage and he had us all turn to our spouse, look them deep into the eyes and say, you are not my enemy. I want you to do that with each other now. Just turn to the person next to you and look deep into their eyes and say, you are not my enemy. Yeah. Yeah, good job. Now, That just felt good, didn't it? Of a cleansing thing. Now, Dan and I, we'd been married for all of a month, right? So this speaker tells us to do this thing, and so we look deep into each other's eyes, and all we can do is laugh. What what do you mean? You are not my enemy. Of course, that's the most rudimentary thing I've ever heard. And if I remember right, as Dana looked deep into my eyes, she said, honey, It's pretty obvious to me that we do not need this session, so why don't we just skip out and go upstairs to the room, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Aren't you glad you're sitting right there? (laughs) She's going, aren't you glad you're such a liar, Brian? (laughs) Kind of a wink-wink thing, right? And while to Dana and I, that seemed like an incredibly silly exercise on that day at that time, after 30 days of being married, It is incredibly important, is it not? It is incredibly needed, is it not? Because it's just true. Your spouse is never your enemy. Your spouse is never your enemy. Your friends are not your enemies. The people around you in your church or in your small group who you might be in a tussle or in some conflict with, the people at your school who you might be in a tussle or some conflict with, they're not your enemy. They just aren't. Satan is your enemy, and it's one of his strategies to try to get you to take your eye off the ball where the real battle is and onto this other stuff. Don't let him work it against you. Look at what Jesus had to say about our enemy in John chapter 10, verse 10. 
He says this, the thief, one of the names Jesus assigns to the devil, our enemy. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. Not a pretty picture. And Satan, the thief, he has some very specific, very emphatic goals that he is focused on. He wants to steal our joy. He wants to make all of us as miserable as he possibly can. He wants to steal our love for God, our love for our family, our love for his church. He, Satan, the thief, wants to steal all of our peace, bankrupt us in the peace department. And not only does he want to steal, he also wants to take it up a notch. He wants to kill according to what Jesus says about our enemy. He wants to kill all of our enthusiasm for sharing our faith. He wants to kill our desire to be faithful to the Lord. And then Jesus also says that the thief comes to destroy. Bleak picture. He wants to destroy our relationships, every last one of them. He wants to destroy our Christian witness, our Christian influence. He wants to destroy our family. And at the end of the day, Satan's ultimate goal is that he would like to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. That means us, this community of faith called Journey Church, as well as every other life-giving community of Christ followers. He wants to destroy us. That's his plan. That's his hope. That's his desire. And right now, Satan, our enemy, is actively seeking to separate husbands and wives, parents and children, employers and employees. He seeks to destroy friendships and divide churches right down the middle. See, the truth is, we are absolutely engaged in a very real spiritual battle, and it's only, and I mean only, by armoring up, I call it, that we can stand strong, in this ongoing spiritual war. Look at what Ephesians 6, 11 says. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. And he's got a bunch of them, all kinds of strategies. And Paul is telling us, look, if you ever hope to become a spiritual champion, it's only through God's power that you can expect to win the spiritual battles in life any of us ever choose to step out onto the spiritual battlefield by ourselves, independent of God's power, I promise it's not gonna go well for you. It will not go well for you. But when and if we step out onto the battlefield in God's power, then look, we're poised for success. We're just set up to succeed in this deal. God has given his son Jesus Christ every bit of power in heaven and on earth. And simply by virtue of our position in Jesus Christ, by virtue of our relationship with him, we are positioned and poised in such a way that victory in these spiritual battles can be ours. We don't have to get our butts kicked by the enemy. We are not simply destined to lose because Satan is so powerful, see. I think it's a great question to ask. What in the world is a spiritual battle? Give me an example of a spiritual battle. Here's a few. I'm gonna bring it right down to where we're living. The temptation for us to entertain a lustful thought, that is a spiritual battle. It just is. The temptation for us to view pornography is a spiritual battle. The temptation for us to cross bounds of sexual purity with the person that we're dating or the person we're engaged to, that is a spiritual battle. 
The temptation for us to flirt with the married person at the office when we're married, that is a spiritual battle. Nothing more, nothing less than a spiritual battle. The temptation for us to power up, I like to call it, and say or do something vindictive is a spiritual battle. And you know what I'm talking about. Somebody says something to you that's hurtful, painful, causes shame perhaps, and you immediately, you want to power up, right? And you want to come right back Adam, that's a spiritual battle. It happened to me this week. I'm taking a new uh, online course in my master's program, American Church History. Our professor is taking us all the way back to when the Euro settlers came over to North America and wreaked incredible havoc on the native inhabitants of this land where we're living now. And so he said, uh, uh, made quite an incendiary comment about all of that. And I asked a question, a clarifying question, in a, a chat room setting with about 21 friends and colleagues in there. The professor volleyed back to my question with something that, that was incredibly belittling and demeaning to me about my question. Basically, it was a stupid question, he was saying, my professor. And in a moment, I I had my fingers on the keyboard and it was going to be good and strong, right? You know what I'm talking about. It just so happens I was studying spiritual warfare this week, right? So I had a choice. I was like, oh yeah, this is the spiritual battle right here. What am I going to do? What's going to be my choice? Who's going to influence my next decision? Is it going to be God or is it going to be Satan? Temptation for us to say something. I didn't, by the way. I held myself back, restrained. I had friends in the class texting me. They're like, are you really going to let him say that to you? It's like, yeah, let it go. The temptation for us to say something harsh and hurtful to our spouse, our children, our friends, our coworkers, to anyone, that's a spiritual battle. That's a spiritual battle. The temptation to think that we're somehow better, smarter, faster, prettier, more handsome, cooler than people around us, that is a spiritual battle. Watch this one. The temptation for us to spend beyond our means is a spiritual battle because like, we're trying to keep up with the Joneses or whoever we're trying to keep up. That's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual deal. There is an enemy named Satan who is at work in this world who does not want us to do the good thing, the right thing, or the pure thing. There is an enemy who is at work in this world who does not want us to ever make decisions that honor God. There is an enemy named Satan who is at work in this world who does not want us to ever serve others in the name of Jesus Christ. And that enemy named Satan will do anything and everything he can to make sure that we choose his way, the low road, over God's way, the high road. And both of those supernatural powers, both God and Satan, are incredibly capable of influencing our choices right in the heat of the moment, right in the heat of the battle. But I want you to know that it is not even a fair fight. Get that. It is not even a fair fight. While our enemy, the devil, is strong, the truth is that Jesus Christ, our Savior, is so much stronger. Please do not ever let anyone trick you into thinking that a fight between God and the devil is even a close match. Because see, the devil's already been defeated. He is beaten. He has been stomped. He has been forever humiliated, as a matter of fact. 
And the real truth of all of this spiritual warfare, spiritual battle stuff is that Satan has absolutely no power in our lives except the power and the position that we give him, that we permit him to have, that we allow him to have. And that's what we do so much of the time, isn't it? We open the door and we let him come right on. Now, it's not like we do it on purpose. We're not like, yeah, Satan, come right on in. No, we never do that. It's much more subtle than that. It's in those examples I just talked about a couple of moments ago, those spiritual battles. In the moment of the decision, and in the moments of those decisions, in the moments of that battle, Satan, our enemy, does not automatically have traction in those areas in our lives. He only has the traction that we give him, the traction that we permit him. James 4, 7 absolutely makes it crystal clear how we stop giving the devil traction in our lives. Look at James 4, 7. Here's what the Bible says. Very simply, resist the devil. Resist the devil and what? He will flee from you. Resist the devil. When you stand firm against the devil, he's going to beat cheeks. He's going to turn tail and run. He's going to hightail it out of here. But how do you do that? How do we resist the devil? It's in that armoring up deal that we resist the devil. By putting on the armor of God that Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verses 13 through 17. Let's read these. Therefore, Paul says, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. It's in that decision moment. That's the time of evil, isn't it? When you could go one way or the other. That's the time of evil. It's right there. Who's going to influence your choice? God or Satan? Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. What a picture. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. What's the image that Paul's describing there in that metaphor? Just throw it out. What's the image? soldier. Yes, a Roman soldier, as a matter of fact. Now, why would he describe a Roman soldier? Because he's actually in a Roman prison when he's writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, right? So it's real likely that he's chained up to a Roman guard a couple of feet away, and Paul's sitting there, and he's ruminating on this concept of spiritual warfare that the Lord has opened his eyes to, and he only has to look as far as the guy who he's chained up to And he picks up this concept that in the same way that a Roman soldier's armor positions him for success out in the battlefield, God has provided for us, we who follow him, similar resources that position us for success in the spiritual battle. And very interestingly, these items that Paul lists for us in Ephesians 6, these aspects of the armor, they're not just armor. They actually parallel behaviors, see? Things that we're actually to do in order to experience God's strength towards success in the spiritual battle. Lots of times we just take these and we're like, well, we're just supposed to sort of pray the armor onto ourselves each morning, you know, start at the top and work on down. But that's not it. It's actually behavioral things that we can do. We're gonna get into it in just a moment. 
The armor is just the illustration of these behaviors that Paul is challenging we who follow Jesus Christ to engage in. First one is this one. Spiritual champions will put on the belt of truth. It's where it starts. We'll put on the belt of truth. Now sometimes we read this to mean that we're supposed to put on the belt of God's truth, right? And so we sort of do one of these. Here it is. Got my belt of God's truth on, my Bible across my midsection. But that's not at all what Paul has in view here. Because notice that Paul doesn't say, put on the belt of the truth, which is what this is. He's not using what Greek scholars call the definite article. He's saying instead, watch this, he's saying, be honest. You want to stand strong in the spiritual battle? Start by putting on the belt of honesty. Just be honest. If you want to stand firm in the spiritual battle, start by being truthful. Stop lying. Don't be deceptive. Why? Because Paul knows that when we lie, when we deceive, when we don't tell the truth, we give the devil a whole bunch of traction in our lives traction that we don't have to give him. We open ourselves to him when we deceive and when we don't tell the truth. You might have heard us say this around here a lot, and it's not original with us. We just like to say it a lot, that the truth is never the problem. You know how sometimes you're in a situation and you're like, well, I have to lie. I can't tell the truth because the truth would cause a problem. Uh Uh-uh. It's the lie that causes the problem. The truth is never the problem. The deceit and the half-truth. and the, When you're working through stuff with folks, it, it's like they're trying to cover up the truth sometimes, and that's not the problem. Because we can deal with the truth when it's out there. Just put it in view. It's that we often keep the truth covered up and hidden, and we can't do that. We can't tell the truth, right? But living the truth, putting on the belt of truth, protects us, see, from the strategies of the devil. If you want to be positioned for success in the spiritual battle, well then just live, just tell, just be the truth. Just be the truth. Next, Paul instructs spiritual champions to put on the body armor of God's righteousness. The body armor of God's righteousness. Some texts render it the breastplate of righteousness, but body armor is much more manly, isn't it? And you know what body armor is. It's like bulletproof vest stuff, right? And even more than that, it guards your vital organs. And in Paul's illustration, that body armor is made of righteousness. Well, what the heck is that? Righteousness, very simply, is right living. Righteousness equals right living. Living that honors and pleases God himself. It's doing good. Doing good is righteousness. Paul's saying if you want to be positioned for success in the spiritual battle, live in a way that pleases God. Why? Because again, when we live our lives in ways that dishonor and displease God, what do we do? We swing the door wide for the enemy, Satan, to get what the Bible calls a foothold in our lives. And if you give him an inch, he's going to take a mile. The body armor of righteousness. And here's where this goes. I very firmly believe that God is very seldom honored in our idleness. I do not believe that God is ever honored in our idleness, or at least very seldom honored in our idleness. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a time and a place for being still with God, not saying that at all. 
I'm just saying that God is very seldom honored in our idleness. Over the years, I've seen time and time again that it's when people have far too much free time on their hands, this is true in my life, that they're a prime target for the strategies of the devil. Just think about the times in your life when you succumb to some temptation. I'll bet that it was not when you were actively involved in living in a way that was pleasing to God. It was probably in a moment of idleness, in a season of idleness. And Paul's saying this intensive focus on pleasing God, doing good, serving the kingdom of God, bringing the kingdom of God is one of the best strategies you can ever have for standing firm against the strategies of the devil. How do you do that? It means that we're involved in ministry, see. Both the receiving end of ministry, ministry that challenges us to grow up in faith, to press in with God, to go deeper with God, to make more godly decisions in all areas of our lives, that'd be the receiving end of ministry, right? But also in the giving end of ministry, pouring out, serving, bringing the kingdom, putting a serving towel over your arm and just getting about it. Being on the giving and receiving end of ministry is going to help keep the body armor of God's righteousness firmly in place. Right living, serving, giving. Spiritual champions put on the body armor of God's righteousness next. Spiritual champions put on peace that comes from the good news. And the New Living Translation admittedly does not translate this verse very well. The NIV says it much better, so here it is. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Paul's talking about shoes now. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And here Paul is continuing what he first started talking about with the body armor piece. He's saying, look, when your feet are fitted with readiness, then you're available for God's uses the moment he has an assignment for you, the moment an opportunity arises. In other words, keep your shoes on because God's got assignments for you. And when you're paying that close of attention to God, the strategies of the devil are going to have an awfully hard time getting through to you. Keep your shoes on. Keep right on doing good. Keep right on pleasing God. That very seldom happens when we're sitting around with our shoes off, right? Think about King David when he's up on top of his palace and he's looking out across. He was supposed to be out at battle, by the way. The rest of his men, his leaders, his soldiers, they were all out at battle. And David, he's just kicking it back, shoes off, back at his palace. And he goes for a stroll up on his rooftop. He's bored, right? And he knew what he was doing up there. He knew exactly where Bathsheba's bathtub was. And there she was bathing. And he's like, oh, yeah. Bring her to me, right? He didn't have his shoes on. He wasn't ready for God's next assignment for him. He was sitting around idle, bored, looking for stuff to do. Keep your shoes on. Because Satan, very often, he waits for the strategic opportunity of when our shoes are off to move in on us. Keep your shoes on and it gets a lot harder for the devil. Spiritual champions next, they hold up the shield of faith, Paul says. They hold up the shield of faith. And when we do that, we're insulated and we're protected from the stuff that the enemy lobs at us. The fiery arrows, as Paul says. 
Now, Roman soldiers, they would have had these little uh, sort of trash can lid-sized shields that they would have used for sort of close-in combat. But then they had the mega shield, these like five-foot-tall by a couple feet-wide shields for use when the army was advancing. And they would line them up side by side, row after row after row of those, so that the enemy was faced with this shield wall of this advancing army. Impenetrable to whatever the enemy threw in their direction. And our faith in Jesus Christ helps us stand firm against the strategies of the enemy. Paul's not just talking about intellectual assent here. He's not just saying, yeah, your little casual nod to God to sort of acknowledge that God's there and that he, there is a God and so on that we practice real privately. The shield of faith that Paul is challenging us to take cover behind is a living practical, active, growing faith that is fleshed out, not in a corner, not in a closet by yourself, but in the context of a community of active, like-minded, like-hearted people. And the shield of faith that Paul calls us to tuck in behind advances side by side by side with fellow Christ followers. Because see, when you get one of us out by ourselves, no matter how big we think our shield of faith is, we're vulnerable. That's not gonna go well for the Lone Ranger Christian out there just trying to go it alone. Satan's got us where he wants us in that moment. We're equipped to stand firm. We're poised for success in the spiritual battle when we flesh out and when we grow in our faith in the context of a community much like this. That's how we're gonna win the day. Spiritual champions next, they put on salvation as your helmet. Put on salvation as your helmet. And this just so happens to be my favorite one. I'll reveal my bias to you. Because if we want to stand firm against the strategies of the devil, we'll dwell regularly on everything that God's salvation means to us. And we don't do that very often very well, do we? Once we get saved, we're like, yeah, I'm saved. That's good, cool. Kind of move on, right? But Paul is calling us back to everything that salvation means to us. He says, use your heads and think on, meditate on, ruminate on the incredible gift of God's salvation through his son Jesus Christ brings to us every moment of every single day sort of behind the scenes across the Journey Church family in the last couple of weeks, there have been some people who have uh, borne the brunt of news and challenge and pain that is almost unimaginable. Some families across our community have heard stuff in the last couple of weeks that I I heard it and it was like, I, I just go, you've got to be kidding me. Like that kind of stuff. You've got to be kidding me. And see, it would be in the strategies and it would be in the wiles of the devil, our enemy, the thief, to get front and center in the lives of those journey church families who have been turned upside down by recent turns of events as he seeks to get about stealing and killing and destroying any thread of hope that they've been clinging to in these incredibly dark, despairing moments. But Paul says when we put on the helmet of salvation, we get to say, uh-uh, devil. Uh-uh. Because we carry we wear the helmet of salvation 
We've got this truth, see, as God's children, as his people, that no matter how bad things get, Satan does not get to win the day. Why? Because of everything God's done for us and because of everything God's promised to us. No matter how dark the days get, despair will not beat us down. Why? Because God is in control. God is in charge. Because God's salvation protects our head, this thing called gloom, other deal called doom, they've already been made irrelevant, actually, by Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave. Things for a whole bunch of us, as a matter of fact, might seem incredibly bad today. But this is not the end. It's not even close to the end. No matter how bleak things seem, Because of God's salvation, this stuff that lots of us are enduring in this moment is only temporary. And at the end of the day, no matter the difficulty and no matter the pain and no matter the challenge, God assures, God promises a bright, hopeful, and beautiful future for those who know him, for those who are called his sons and his daughters. And when we don the helmet of salvation, When we think on everything that God's salvation brings to us, means to us, provides for us, the enemy does not stand a chance of dissuading us from that truth. Not a chance. Last, Paul invites spiritual champions to take up the sword of the Spirit, and we love swords, don't we? Take up the sword of the Spirit. And here's, there's several things going on here, but at the bottom of it all, Paul's getting it very simply, the fact that God has very specific words from his word that he wants to impart to us in the heat of the spiritual battle, but that means something that can't happen in a vacuum. It means we've got to give ourselves to knowing God's word, inside out and upside down, because God has his truth that he wants to run across our radar screen and bring to mind and bring to heart in the heat of the battle, in that moment of evil, in the moment of despair, decision, but he can't do that unless we've been in God's word, unless we've set it into our hearts, unless we're ruminating and pondering and reflecting and memorizing God's word. And he wants to bring those words from his word to mind because he wants us to stand firm, stand strong against the enemy's strategies. We've got to stop and spend time in God's word for the purpose of him speaking his specific words into our life when the battle calls for them. We must be people of the text. We must. The truth is that we live in a war zone, every one of us. And every single day we step out onto the battlefield and spiritual champions have been equipped and set up positioned to win this battle, but we'll not win it by ourselves. We'll only win it by God's strength. But God's strength can only be ours when we wear the belt of truth by living and by telling and by being the truth. When we put on the body armor of God's righteousness by involving ourselves in ministry, both the receiving end of ministry and the giving end of ministry. His strength will only be ours when we keep our shoes on so that we can be ready to be about pleasing God at a moment's notice. God's strength will only be ours when we hold up the shield of faith by fleshing out and growing our faith in the context of a community, not just off in a corner or in a closet all by ourselves. God's strength 
in the spiritual battle will be ours when we put on salvation as our helmet by thinking on and reflecting on and pondering on the incredible gift that God's salvation through his son Jesus Christ brings to us every moment of every day. And then his strength will be ours when we take up the sword of the spirit, when we're in the text, when we know the text, so that he can bring those specific words to heart and mind in the heat of the battle. We can win this deal. We absolutely can. But we've got to extend some effort to bring it about. Why don't you take your stuff and set it aside if you would. Just go to prayer. And I invite you just to speak to the Lord about what you're thinking about. Just tell him what's on your heart. I'm just going to ask you for the next few moments if you keep your heads bowed and eyes closed and just stay in a posture of prayer and worship and listening with God if you would. And all of us show up in this room to gathering like this sort of from all different places. And I don't exactly know where you come from. But maybe you show up here today as a Christ follower and you've just been getting whooped up on by the enemy. He's just having a heyday with you. And you know exactly what that looks like and you know exactly what that feels like and you know exactly where it is that the enemy has gained access to your life. If that's you, I just invite and I challenge you to spend these moments with the Lord, inviting him to challenge your heart. Invite him to challenge your heart on issues of the truth. How are you going to take up that belt of truth? How are you going to involve yourself in ministry? The receiving end, sure, but also the giving end of it. The body armor of God's righteousness. How are you going to be about that? How are you going to keep your shoes on? Ready for God's next assignment for you. You're so focused on God's deal that the devil doesn't have time to get at you. How are you going to tuck in behind the shield of faith? How are you going to flesh out and grow your faith in the context of a community, not just by yourself? What are you going to do with the helmet of God's salvation? How are you going to think on, ponder, ruminate on the incredible gift that God's salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ, brings to you every day? And what are you going to do about becoming a person of the text? getting more and more into God's word, driving it deep into your heart so in those moments of battle, God can bring specific words right across your radar screen. See, God equips you, every single one of you, to win the battle. He actually wants you to win. He sets you up to win. But it takes a strategy. It takes intentionality. It doesn't just happen by accident. Whatever you do in this time, drive some stakes in the ground with the Lord around those very issues. Lay a strategy out with the Lord so that when you go out those doors, things are actually different than when you came in. It wasn't just a church service. Sang some nice songs and heard a little sermon. That's so that things are actually different for you. And then maybe there's some of you who are here today 
and you've never actually put on the helmet of salvation. You gotta understand this though, that winning the spiritual battle that we're all engaged in, it actually starts there. It begins with you stepping into a relationship with God through his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who came to live and who came to die for you, for me, for every person on planet Earth. And if you've not ever trusted God with your soul through a relationship with his son, Jesus, what's keeping you from that today? What's keeping you from that today? You can move into a relationship with God by praying along with me right where you're sitting, a prayer that goes like this. God, thank you so much for sending your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to make a way for me to live in relationship with you. Yeah, God, I know that I've sinned. I know I've done stuff that I shouldn't have. And today, God, I realize that you are perfect and that you are holy and that my sin, that stuff that I've done, separates me from you, God. I believe with everything in me that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for that sin, and I ask you to please forgive me. Please send Jesus to live inside of me because, God, I want you to be my friend, and, God, I need you to change me. God, I need you to clean my life up, please, starting now. I want to step out into the battlefield, and I want to be victorious. And if you prayed with me just then to give your life to Jesus Christ, that's the biggest decision of your whole life. Nothing matters more. Nothing carries more weight. There's not a bigger deal. And it's such a big deal, we ask people around here to tell us when they did that. I'm going to ask you to do that with me right now. If you prayed with me just then to give your life to Jesus Christ, would you be so bold as to slip your hand up and make eye contact with me and just say, yes, I stepped across the line of faith with Jesus today. I put on for the first time that helmet of salvation. It's mine. Just slip your hand up and make eye, yeah, right over there. Way to go. God's changing you right now. Are there any others? Don't let me miss you. God in heaven, uh, we are stunned and amazed by the level of intricacy and detail that's involved in this spiritual battlefield that we're all engaged in, God. The fact that you thought through a strategy for us to ensure our victory is amazing, and we thank you for it. Thank you that you make it so clear, so tangible, so doable even, God. I pray that we as a community would be people who take up that spiritual armor, and that it isn't just something that we sort of pray over ourselves each day, but that it's actually behavior that we flesh out and walk out and live every day. And God, I pray that the victory, it's not about us. It's about your glory and your fame and your renown because you are the victor. You are the conqueror. You are the ruler. And you're the one who wins the day. You're the one who wins the battle. No matter how dark things seem, no matter how hard life gets, no matter how wrecking the battle feels to us, 
you win the day and we're in you. And so we hold to that, we cling to that truth. Thanks for loving us that way. We're all yours, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen.